Peter R. Bregan, M.D., is called the conscience of psychiatry for his many decades of successful reform efforts. His scientific and educational work provide the foundation for modern criticism of drugs and ECT and lead the way in promoting more caring and effective therapies. His books include Talking Back to Prozac, Toxic Psychiatry, Medication Madness, Psychiatric Drug Withdrawal, and now Guilt, Shame, and Anxiety, Understanding and Overcoming Negative Emotions. Welcome to the Dr. Peter Bregan Hour. Oh, hello, hello, my wonderful audience. I've been busy, busy, busy as always. I hope you all are too, but none of us are as busy as Dr. Elizabeth Lee Vallit, whom you've met a number of times before and about whom I uh, cannot say enough. Um, she connected us from the beginning with the best people in the field because she herself was way ahead of us in, in seeing what was going on. She's a practicing physician. She works helping people in particular with hormonal problems, both women and men. She's a, you know, really right there just helping people out. When she saw what was going on with COVID-19, very early wrote one of the first blogs saying we have to use decent treatment methods and that they were available. And she started working early on with uh, Peter McCullough, Dr. McCullough, who has had such an influence on me and Ginger and our thinking. So she's been incredibly uh, important to us. And uh, the book that you've had so much to do with, including writing one of the three introductions with, uh, along with uh, Zev Zelenko and Peter McCullough is doing shockingly well. Yeah. We uh, have gone up now on Amazon. And uh, before we went on Amazon, just selling it off our website with a lot of support from uh, Dr. Valit and Dr. McCullough and Dr. Zelenko, we have sold 24,000 copies. Folks, we expected before we went up on Amazon to maybe sell 500 copies out of our garage. So this is a testimonial to the people who are working with us, but also to the size and strength of the movement that is going on. The book is still being sold directly by us at the least expensive rate to the US and Canada, but now it's also everywhere, US worldwide on Amazon and on other places. And for a time yesterday, this is only up and up a couple of days, for a time yesterday, the ebook was first in medicine. I mean, wow. And um, it has been between one and three on the political science. So this, we're, we're gonna have an impact. And Lee, thank you for all the help you've given. Um, you are so welcome, Dr. Bregan. It's been really an honor to work with you and your incredible wife. Well, thank you, doctor. Thank you very much. Um, we're having a little a problem on my end, folks, with some interference. So I'm going to do very little talking. And I'm going to turn this over to Dr. Elizabeth Levelit, physician extraordinaire and reformer. You're going to hear stuff now, folks, that is going to be a little difficult at times to listen to. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Bregan. And it really is quite chilling to share with your audience what I've been involved in most recently. And let me backtrack just a moment and share with your audience that in addition to my private practice that you have acknowledged many times and my work on the COVID front all last year with Senator Johnson and Dr. McCullough and many other frontline doctors trying to get early treatment for people. In May of this year, I reactivated a public charity that my husband and I actually created 14 years ago for a different war in medicine. And we started it right prior and got it approved just prior to the 2008 economic collapse. So needless to say, a public charity and raising donations in that environment really wasn't possible. So I set it on the back burner, but I kept all the filings current. And honestly, I am convinced that God tapped me on my shoulder in May and said, remember the foundation you created in 2007, activate it. This is the time it was for. And I spoke to Dr. McCullough about it because there was a group trying to take uh, an early treatment initiative forward and they didn't have any organization, they didn't have a structure, and they really had not, the, the business people had not had a lot of experience running a medical facility or organization. So I told Dr. McCullough about it, and I said, you know, I really feel God is calling me to activate this and use it to take the early treatment for COVID and other medical conditions that are often overlooked, to churches and combine medicine and ministry in a way that goes back to the beginning of my career. And he really liked that. And when the other group really wasn't making progress, he said, Lee, go for it, get it going. I'll be an advisor, I'll be your medical advisor, but I don't know how to run a foundation and I don't have time. And so we did that and we have really been instrumental in a number of major ways. Truth for Health Foundation is a 501c3 public charity charted and approved by the IRS to serve the public good. And so we started with the Medicine and Ministry and the Catholics for Preservation of Life. And then by July, we started seeing all of the risk and complications with COVID experimental gene therapy shots. And Dr. Yeadon and Dr. McCullough and I and two other physicians were in a meeting to discuss new data on the threat to pregnancy and fertility that Dr. Yeadon had discovered from 10 years ago. And I just, they had been turned down by other medical organizations to do a public relations campaign. And I said to them, we will take it forward. This is too serious. And what you all don't realize is that this is not just damage to fertility for men and women, but when you damage the ovaries and the testicles, you're damaging all aspects of our health, 
that's what I've been practicing for 35 years is looking at mm. how all of the gonadal hormones for men and women play a role in every organ system in the body, including the brain. So we started the Stop the Shot campaign, which got millions of views. And then in September, Tom Renz called, and many of your audience will know Tom Renz, is a powerful freedom fighter attorney who is exposing the lies and the abuses and whistleblowers coming forward about the cover-up of the medical risk and what's going on in hospitals, the medical risk of the experimental COVID shots and the suppression of early treatment. Well, he called on September 8th and he said, Lee, General Flynn has a good friend in the hospital in Chicago who's essentially being held prisoner. She's not able to leave and they are forcing treatment that she has tried to refuse. Can you ramp up a team to help find resources for her out of the hospital? So the next day I mobilized our advisory team. We got all of the medical resources, high flow oxygen, nursing support, IV fluids, medications that they weren't giving in the hospital, including both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, but also antibiotics and nebulized budesonide and medicines to improve her glucose. I mean, there were a lot of things they were ignoring. And the hospital literally blocked every step that the patient's advocate and power of attorney tried to take, including preventing the police from assisting rescuing Veronica Wolski, a well-known freedom fighter. She was known as the bridge lady who had stood on the bridge overlooking the Kennedy Expressway in Chicago for five years every day with her banners for freedom and educating the public through all kinds of weather. She was amazing. She was a warrior. And here she was trapped as a devout Catholic whose faith meant everything to her. She was in a Catholic hospital, Resurrection Hospital, which became not resurrection in this world, but it was her death trap. And they refused all of the treatment. They refused home hospice. They refused her discharge, even with an ambulance standing by that had the high flow oxygen and the medications on board that she needed. And when the patient's power of attorney, Nancy Ross, went to finally got access to the hospital on Sunday, she was able to go in look outside the window of her room in the ICU. She was lying alone in the dark, all of the instruments flashing. They had taken away even her IV fluids, which is a way to bring someone down more rapidly. You can't oxygenate a patient if they have no IV fluids and they're dehydrated. And she died that night. This was truly a chilling experience for me 
I knew that they were denying ivermectin. I knew they were denying hydroxychloroquine, but I did not know until I had firsthand experience in this situation. And I was conferenced in on several phone calls with the patient and the doctor and the nurse that were talking to her with the power of attorney. And while they may not have realized that an outside doctor was listening, I heard everything they said, how they said it, they were abusive in their tone. They, they made many outright false statements to the patient in trying to push her to be intubated. And, and it was just truly quite alarming. And from that, then when she died, the attorney, Tom Renz, asked us if we would, the foundation would take on mobilizing these resources for other patients who are literally trapped in the hospital. They're not allowed access to their family members. They're not allowed their access to their power of attorney or, or attorneys. They're, they're not getting IV fluids. They're not giving antibiotics for bacterial infections. They're not getting nutritional support in the IVs or otherwise. They're not getting nebulized budesonide to treat lung inflammation. It's way beyond just not giving ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. And we have now been personally involved in cases in Idaho, in South Carolina, Nevada, California, Washington, just last night, a call from Pennsylvania. This is happening all over the country. The hospitals are following the same playbook they come in, patients come into the ER. We had a case in South Carolina. Patient came in with a car accident, a healthy woman in her 40s, car accident victim. They gave her a PCR test. She tested positive for COVID, no symptoms. And we all know the PCR test is, has a high false positive rate, particularly when they run it at 45 cycles. So she tested positive, got a COVID diagnosis. They tried to force her to get remdesivir, which she had declined. And finally, she just got up and walked out against medical advice and escaped. But that is not what happens to a lot of people. She heard mm -hmm. enough and screaming to let me go, let me go. And he wasn't allowed out. We, every one of the patients with one exception has been refused any other option. Home hospice is, is refused, discharge in an ambulance with support that they need, that's refused. The hospitals really have become more like a prison than what we see in America's jails and prisons. Prisoners in jails have more visitation rights than COVID patients in America's hospitals. It's, it's truly staggering. Once again, we see this lockstep phenomena. Yes. It's just un unbelievable. Um, They're even using the same language, Dr. Bragan. It's, it is so consistent. And being in the middle of many of these cases, because the patients or the attorney engage us as a medical advisory team for the foundation. We are not providing direct treatment. We're simply evaluating the patient, their medical records, 
at the family's direction and permission and advising the attorneys on what options there are. And it is so consistent. After five days, we even have discovered hospitals that have a standing order to stop IV fluids and calories after five days. That is, is truly, I mean, those are basic human rights to have IV fluid, it's inhumane to do otherwise. Now, they claim in some cases, the doctor has claimed, well, we don't want to overload the patient. Well, we could see in the records that there was no evidence of any fluid overload. <laughs> so when you dehydrate a patient, you can't oxygenate them and it pushes them to a ventilator. And remember, if your audience doesn't realize this from other shows you've done, the hospitals get incentive payments for the COVID diagnosis, they get extra incentive payments for using remdesivir in addition to having the drug reimbursed by the government. They get extra incentive payments when a patient goes on a ventilator and they get further incentive payments if the patient dies of COVID in the hospital. And attorney Renz and his team have calculated that the extra incentives with the COVID diagnosis paid for by the government taxpayer money adds up to about 100,000 or more per COVID patient. And this is a chilling reminder of what government-controlled medicine can do to take your life, literally, and to prevent you from having all of your core human freedoms that we as American citizens are accustomed to. So our major initiative at this point is the COVID care strategy team advising attorneys on the medical aspects to help them write the legal letters with the medical requirements added that the patient needs and help them arrange resources to get the patient discharged. And the one successful rescue mission that we did this week mm -hmm was an 83-year-old woman that literally on Sunday, the doctor told her, we're going to stop your oxygen and give you morphine. And she and her daughter, who finally had been allowed access after all the time in the ICU without access, and that had to do with the attorney forcing the issue, they both said, no, you're not going to do that. And the next day, when the attorney showed up, two attorneys on site, family in full force, ambulance equipped with a high flow oxygen at 65 liters a minute, and all the meds she needed, and they all showed up in force, hospital security was there, and the attorney said later, I think if I had not been there with my partner, they would have arrested the family, but they got her out. And at just before they removed her from the hospital, the doctor said, well, you're probably gonna die in the ambulance. And this 83 year old woman who just wanted freedom to be with her family said, well, you were gonna kill me yesterday. I'd rather die in the ambulance as a free American 
then stay in this hospital. Mm. And the miracle was, and we really were very concerned that she might die in the ambulance. But the point I'd like to make to your listeners is that every human being has that right to decide do I risk death in the hospital or do I risk death in the ambulance where I can be with my family members or be at home? And yes, we all knew, her family knew, she knew, the lawyers, the medical team all knew that it was very unlikely that she would survive very long, but we wanted to honor her choice and her family's choice. And the miracle was God gave her a week a whole week at home in peace with her family. They gave her bone broth. They gave her love and support and prayers. And her pastor was able to be with her and her loved ones around her. She had adequate IV fluid. She was comfortable. She had adequate oxygen. We had arranged for the high flow oxygen system to be rented by the family and it was truly it's tragic that she died it is truly meaningful and a blessing that working together family and paramedics and lawyers and doctors and nurses that we all came together to support what she and her family wanted and helped her have the freedom to choose it and be with her family at the end of life. And that's extraordinarily meaningful. Yeah. It's such wonderful work you're doing. And folks, the, it's uh, the truthforhealth.org, truthforhealth.org, Truth for Health Foundation. It is definitely one of the best places that you could make a contribution. Uh, Ginger and I have made a contribution. We feel that this is... Uh, just in many different ways, not just this one aspect of the work, but in many different ways, including a legal defense fund for doctors who are being attacked. Um, one of the best places that uh, contributions could be made. Um, I would like to add to that, Dr. Bragan, because I think it's important when any charity is asking for public support in donations, that you know where your money goes. And I want everyone to, to know that we have been operating with very limited administrative cost and staff cost. <laughs> we have been operating with a lot of dedicated volunteers and mm -hmm. all of the medical and scientific and nursing advisors including myself, are volunteering our time to serve the public. I support myself and, and my employees through the medical practice, but all of the work for the foundation, all of us physicians and scientists and nurses and the lawyers are doing pro bono work because we truly believe we have to break the back of the oppressors and the global predators that your book so eloquently and carefully has described and documented, because this is a massive collusion of big medicine, hospital systems that own outpatient doctor practices and 
prevent them from treating patients early, government grants to the hospitals and government payments to the hospitals for keeping people in the hospital on ventilators, only using remdesivir and nothing else. And it's all about government control. It's about taking away all of your core freedoms. And we have to be basically guerrilla warriors finding our way around these obstructions and this Goliath of a defensive line. We have to be the little mean, wiry quarterbacks that are out there doing the end run around. So I would say to all your listeners, join our crusade of the voiceless because you're not voiceless anymore when you have all of our advocates working for you and the money is being used to help with all the support of the legal defense, the programs, the educational programs, and everything that we do to serve the public. So I thank you for that suggestion for people to donate and we will be doing more. We have another press conference coming up in a couple of weeks on all of these issues. And I wonder if you would like to talk about some steps, action steps that people can take to help protect themselves from these situations. And if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer those. No, I'd like to keep learning about uh, more and more about what you're doing. <clears throat> you have a legal fund. I think Dr. McCullough is now talking publicly about what's happened to him. I'm not exactly sure. I think I saw a part of his speech at the um, American Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. But doctors are getting very harmed. I mean, top-notch docs are getting injured. And uh, I'd like you to pick up on that and tell us about uh, your knowledge of that, which would be greater than mine. And um, also, uh, if your fund is, has yet begun to uh, have enough money to be able to do anything for doctors. We, we are following the IRS guidelines for a public charity that provides that service. In any public charity that's engaged in a fund of public donations, charitable donations for legal defense, the focus is around violation. The IRS has approved um, legal defense for violations of human and civil rights secured by law. That is a quote from the IRS rulings. That means that this defense is not about medical malpractice. It's about violation of core freedoms, mm -hmm. civil rights, human rights, which in our case are constitutional rights. And that is the right to free speech. It's the yeah. right to the religious exemption against vaccine mandates. It's the right of a patient in a hospital to have informed consent. It's, be, it's the right of a patient to refuse a treatment they don't want and to request an FDA approved treatment they do want, even if it's not approved for that particular use such as COVID. So there, there are two mechanisms and the public charity cannot designate money for a specific person. Right. 
one can apply for a grant or a legal defense loan. And they go through a fair, impartial, and neutral selection process with an independent committee. I, can, I am advising the committee on some of the medical aspects, but I don't vote on that committee. It is an independent group of an attorneys, medically trained people, and patient advocates that make the ultimate selection. And right at the moment, the funds in the medical defense fund are not very large, but they, we do have a growing fund. And I anticipate in the next month or two, I'm aware of three potential cases that may come through our application process. We, we really just started it a month or two ago, so it's been growing. There are other programs that people can donate to. The Veronica Wolski COVID Care Strategy Team in memory of Veronica Wolski, the freedom fighter who died in the Chicago hospital. People can donate to that to support other families that are needing assistance. And we also have the medicine and ministry program that is rolling out early treatment options in churches and synagogues. And we serve people of all faiths, even though we are a, a Christian organization. And monoclonal antibody infusion centers in churches. Dr. Harpool Manga is the director for that program. And he has already started that in a number of churches in the Washington DC area, particularly in low income neighborhoods. And we're talking with pastors in several other states who would like to bring that into their churches. So as we ramp up these new programs, these are ways to get help to people. And I just think it's so critical that all of your listeners understand one thing, you can no longer totally trust all the institutions that you've relied on. Yes. Insurance companies are denying care. Hospitals are denying care. Your own primary care doctors are being hamstrung by their employers and told they can't prescribe medicines. You are going to have to be proactive. You know, there's an old joke of how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. And and I love that for this one because you are going to have to take charge of planning what happens if you get sick with COVID. Print a copy of our COVID early treatment guide on Truth For Health website. That's the newest version. Dr. McCullough and I just updated it. We have translated it into Spanish. The Spanish version will be up by Monday. And there's a two-page summary guide. Print it, keep it with your medical records. It shows the medicines, the doses, all of that. You have telemedicine resources. We have a list of doctor's practices state by state that AAPS has compiled and we are sharing that. Get your medical care lined up ahead of getting sick. Plan to have your medicines on hand. You can do that through the telemedicine services. And then most critically, every member of your family needs a COVID specific 
healthcare power of attorney for each of you. And you need to have it, have the language start when you get sick, not if you are incapacitated, because if you're suddenly incapacitated, it's going to take too much time to ramp up the legal documents. And when I say COVID specific, if you don't want the risk of intubation and a ventilator, then you need to put that in there. Do not intubate, do not ventilate. If you do not want the risk that are associated with remdesivir, which is an experimental treatment and carries about a 25% risk of kidney damage and about a 26% risk of death, and they're all using it, if you don't want that drug, you need to put that in your healthcare power of attorney and make sure that the hospital is put on notice, do not give this medicine. Check your state law rights. If you have a family member in the hospital now and they don't have a power of attorney, check your state rights, engage an attorney and start working to get the attorney to demand access to the patient's medical records, provide access to the portal, password, login, the family and the attorney need to see those records. Demand access to the patient. They are not prisoners of war. They are human beings in the hospital. You have a right to see them. Explore options for home treatment. We have a COVID care team that plans the strategy. Attorneys engage us to help them. Our work is pro bono for the attorney and the family. We will help you put together the resources in your state. We don't come to you and provide the service. We coordinate licensed healthcare professionals, home health agencies, oxygen vendors, whatever you need. We're helping you and the family and your caregivers organize it in your home state, fully licensed. And consider demanding discharge to home hospice. Now, that is not a death sentence. Hospice provides support for comfort care, and it provides a lot of good support. It's paid for by almost all insurances, and it doesn't mean a death sentence. It means they provide supportive care, comfort care, and if the family wants to self-pay to add treatment, Hospice does not cover active treatment. But if you want to pay for generic medicines to give your loved ones, to give them a chance and try it, you have that right. Hospice doesn't prevent you from doing that. And also, I'm going to tell you with everything that we've encountered working with these hospitals, you need to plan the discharge carefully. You need attorneys with you. You need an ambulance standing by with all of the support for that patient. You may need to call a constitutional sheriff. Police tend to be employees of city governments, county governments. They tend to answer to political forces. Sheriffs are elected and serve their constituents and they are constitutionally elected. That is so interesting. Yes. Yeah. Well, my, my brother was with the Richmond City Sheriff's Department for 10 years, and I work, have worked with a lot of sheriffs over my medical career. They have an oath. They take an oath to the Constitution. They are elected. They serve their constituents. 
And we're seeing many sheriffs stand up to these unconstitutional laws because they feel strongly about their oath to serve mm -hmm. their constituents and their oath to the constitution. So if you need law enforcement help, you need to seek out resources through your local sheriff who is more likely to be of support than the local police. Because in every hospital situation we've worked with, the police have refused to intervene. That's just tragic. Um, <clears throat> now, folks, one, one thing that, uh, and I'm learning from, from Dr. Vleet as I always do, um, if you're in home hospice, you can again use the website of Dr. Vleet, the truthforhealth.org, by getting names of doctors that you can email or phone to get that inexpensive home treatment. Tell, uh, tell the folks a little bit more about how they do that on your website. Well, if you go to our homepage, there's, there's a tab that says patient guides. And that would be, and then there's another tab on the homepage that says contact us. And all of those contacts go to my executive assistant who then gets the, if someone is requesting help for a hospital patient transitioning to outpatient care, whether it's an acute rehab center or a long-term care rehab center or home hospice or home care, then our, that we send the confidentiality and the intake form and then our nurse team gets involved with the family. We, we encourage them to engage an attorney and then we can work with the attorney as well. So we have a mechanism in place for all of that. And I really think that that's a way of accessing a broad network of physician advisors. Let's say, for example, we've had a lot of local physicians contacting us saying, I don't have quite as much experience treating COVID. What would you suggest? Here's what the medical records show. And then our team, who, who in, we include a lot of different specialties on our advisory council. And so our team can give the local physician guidance and suggestions. And, and that has worked exceptionally well because it's the local doctor that the patients trust and We've even got, I've even got one doctor in South Carolina, and this, this was a wonderful story too. He's 70, he had, had decided to partially retire, and he had taken a job with a clinic for the indigent, and this patient in Spartanburg Regional Medical Center was being denied ivermectin that the family wanted. And so, so this doctor, who knew the patient, agreed to drive an hour and a half each way to give the medicine that the hospital administrator refused to allow the hospital doctors on site to administer. Hmm. The lawyers succeeded in getting that agreement in place. Would never have happened without a really go-getter warrior attorney to hold the hospital accountable to the patient's right to request a treatment. And remember, Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, budesonide, all of these medicines are FDA approved. 
they are not experimental. Remdesivir is experimental. And these are FDA approved. It is perfectly legal for every physician to be able to write a prescription off label for a new use if the patient would like to try it. And if the doctor and the patient agree that it's appropriate for that patient, totally legal. 20% of all prescriptions in the United States every day in medical practice are written off label. So this doctor actually was taking three, at least three hours out of every day to drive to the hospital to give a medicine that the hospital administrator refused. Now, this is one of several cases at that hospital we've been involved in, and they're doing the same thing with all of them. So word to the wise, people, listen up. Hospitals right now are not your friend. If you have COVID, you better look for avenues outside the hospital and get these guides that we've prepared. AAPSonline.org has resources across the country. Frontline Doctors, America's Frontline Critical Care COVID Alliance, all of these organizations set up to serve the patients have algorithms, published studies, and access to pharmacies and doctors that are experienced in prescribing them. You do not have to be a medical prisoner and you do not have to be trapped in a system in a hospital that is only going to give you one drug and one option pushing you to a ventilator or dialysis if the remdesivir damages your kidney. So it's time for everybody to get very proactive and get prepared because we really are in a spiritual, medical, economic, and political war. And you're gonna have to start creating your defense for you and your family to save your life. Yes, and one of the most important things you can do in this situation is the moment you suspect you might have a SARS-CoV infection, that you might have COVID-19, is you get directly in touch with truthforhealth.org and get their, their uh, treatment booklet and look up physicians and get help the first day. We had this happen with a beloved member of the family who became ill acutely with a fever and all the symptoms of COVID and her partner came down at roughly the same time uh, with the same symptoms, very sick. Both of them had uh, lung issues to begin with. So that was a, a very, uh, you know, a dangerous situation. And they went directly to uh, this same resource um, and uh, got a doc uh, that night. And the next day they had the medicine. And in 24 hours, they were better. 24 hours, not six days. And the whole treatment regimen, usually with the antibiotics, um, you know, doesn't take but several days. So uh, we're talking about life saving and just getting on this the moment, moment it happens. As a treating physician, which I'm not in the COVID area, that makes sense. 
You know, Dr. Bregan, I think it's important to also for the two of us to take more of a 50,000 foot view of what's going on. Because I was very struck last year in 2020 that within days, all 50 states had similar language coming out from medical boards trying to suppress early treatment with hydroxychloroquine and later ivermectin. <clears throat> and they were all, yeah, I was struck. Um, Jeremy Snavely, the business manager for AAPS and I, actually looked at a lot of different states and they all had the same language. That was unusual. How do state medical boards and state governors all have a prepared language to suppress hydroxychloroquine last year of 2020 and now ivermectin, all describing it the same way, all at the same time. Yeah. So there was that. Now with the hospitals, in every single one, they are violating their own patient rights documents that every patient has to sign on admitting to the hospital. They are doing the same strategies of cutting back IV fluids and nutrition and vitamins and inhaled corticosteroids or nebulized steroids. They're using half doses of anticoagulants instead of therapeutic doses, or they're using the lower preventive dose, not the therapeutic dose, when we know that COVID causes massive blood clotting. And they are prohibiting all the medicines that might help and forcing people to take one drug that is very, the clinical trials showed was harmful in many ways and doesn't work very well late stage. And then they're pushing them onto ventilators, which we knew last in 2020 was damaging the lungs. Then they're using high flow oxygen at 50 and 60 liters, which is also toxic to the lungs. So it's a coordinated approach. They all have the same language in the way they're talking to patients. They're all preventing patients, families, and access by power of attorney. So who, so my question at the 50,000 foot view, which fits with your book, COVID-19 and the global predators, we are the prey. We are the prey and the hospital patients are the most vulnerable prey of all. Who are the puppets? Who are the global predators? Who is coordinating all of this that all these hospitals are using the same language and same approaches and same drugs and limiting and preventing the same types of medicines? We've never seen that in this country ever. Ever. Well, the planning goes back a long way and it's enabled them to establish some sort of a way of communicating these, uh, the, these massive um, responses. Another example that's quite stunning is uh, as COVID uh, loses its control over people, they're moving in the direction of uh, Re resurrecting global warming. And about two weeks ago now, 120 medical journals published the identical same editorial saying the lessons we had learned about taking over society and making things happen during COVID-19 had to be applied 
to global warming. And the journals included things like the Lancet, the BMJ, the Journal of the American Medical Association. And the, the Lancet person who seems to have been key in it was the head of a commission set up by the Lancet. This is a medical journal. And the commission is called uh, the Commission for the Value of Death. Now you what? can't you can't make up these things. So we're seeing come together forms of evil in a very, very coordinated uh, manner. We trace in the book back to uh, Bill Gates announcing in 2010 um, that uh, along with Fauci, way back then working with him as a member of his vaccine committee, that this was going to be the decade of the vaccine. And he said that he expected to fulfill all the demands that he was making by 2021. And I think that they inflicted the, the pandemic on us. And I, I really think we demonstrated in the book in 2020 because they had to stop Trump's 2020 election campaign. They could not afford another year of Trump who was so against globalism with all his other failures. I mean, Trump uh, pushed for Operation COVID-19 and, and the, these huge vaccine uh, boondoggles. But what Trump probably he was didn't know, yeah, I think he was lied to and people like yourself made a great effort to communicate yeah. with him and did. But um, I, I think he didn't have any idea of the depth of the evil, that Operation COVID-19 was fully planned, we show in the book, by 2015, that uh, Bill Gates was already working with Klaus Schwab, the Great Reset, to not only accomplish the aims of uh, the... Um, having the pandemic and, and uh, setting up all this wealth that would come generating up, up, up to, the, to the elites, but also um, uh, thinking ahead as Bill Gates always was to, to uh, the, the uh, global warming as another uh, excuse for dominating the planet. And um, they had a, uh, an agreement by 2016 with the World Health Organization on how Bill Gates and his billionaires and his drug companies who were organized under a still existing foundation called CEPI, C-E-P-I, how they were gonna divide up control. The money control was gonna come from CEPI which involved Pfizer and Moderna, and also federal agency representatives, including Rick Bart from BARDA, who stopped Trump from making hydroxychloroquine available. They were planning this by 2017. They literally had a memorandum of understanding between all the big corporations coming together under CEPI, under, uh, Schwab under Bill Gates, a memorandum, a memorandum of understanding about how they were going to divide things up. And then you, you look at, well, who controls the World Health Organization who's setting all these standards, bizarre standards that are being followed. 
And uh, Bill Gates is a major contributor. He took over when Trump withdrew money from who he started giving even more money to who. But behind it all is communist China because they have been in control of the World Health Organization for about 10 years uh, before their current head um, of, of the World Health Organization who was put in by China. There was actually a Chinese uh, a doctor in charge of the World Health Organization. And so there's a mass of tying together of people who have two purposes. One is to become extremely wealthy and powerful at any cost. And the other uh, who is to control things politically. And it is not about progressives, it's not about capitalists. We found that none of these people are truly idealistic progressives as Americans would think of progressives, um, nor are they capitalists in a free market sense. They're all predators. And at right. the top, it's, it's, it's just this combination of predators. And they have these odd inclinations. They all favor the pruning of the population. Bill Gates has laughed about people dying then you would need to do so much to reduce global warming. <laughs> Bill Gates is getting a weird smile on his face. It makes me anxious to think about it. Uh, but I've never heard him call for killing people, but others have very definitely called for the pruning of the populations. Um, Klaus Schwab celebrated, we talk about this in the book, the silence of the cities, how beautiful the cities were with no activity in them. So these are sick, destructive, violent elites who have come together with, uh, with the most vicious, powerful dictatorship in the history of the world, which is uh, what's being imposed on the the Chinese people and their neighbors by Xi Jinping. And uh, people, people uh, were sold a bill of goods and now multiple books contradicting this, but people were sold a bill of goods that the Chinese just want to grow their own country. But that's never really been China. China was one of the world's great empires. Then it came into a collision with the British empire who uh, wanted to dominate it. And uh, there, so there's a tradition in China of great empires. And then of course, the communist manifesto, communism is all about empire. It's gonna be the empire of the leaders of the proletariat, which of course it is not, it's just one more miserable, all powerful elite in China. So, I mean, that's a general picture, but it's, it's very hard to grasp and uh, Lead, I'd just like to, to hear you say a little about it. And we, well, I've got, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Um, let me say folks uh, that uh, again, I, I wanna thank Lee for helping edit the book. God bless you. She was spent hours helping out. I hadn't written a book in about a decade and I had to get up to, up to style <laughs> again. And I was pushing and, going too fast and Lee came in and helped a lot. And um, I and wrote an introduction to the book and it's uh, uh, she and, and McCullen and um, Blanco who wrote the introductions have just helped make it a, a bestseller before it even came out on Amazon. You know, I think I may have mentioned earlier 
24,000 copies sold off our website. The website is, that you can go to is a dedicated website. It's wearetheprey.com, wearetheprey.com. Best way to get the book inexpensively. And now it's around the world. It's um, an ebook on Amazon and uh, the paperback also, the 650 page giant paperback is also on with over a thousand citations is also on Amazon. It's selling in Amazon India and Amazon Australia. And the, uh, I'm still relishing that that a day ago uh, we looked up the uh, ebook and it was uh, number one in medicine. Can you imagine that? And it's gone from one to three and back and forth in political science. The ebook is what's selling big now. Probably because we sold so many of Probably the paperbacks. Probably because it's 600 pages. Well, that's, that's right. It's a big book. Um, Lee, um, just a, I really think we're at the end. Thank you. And thank you for taking over for the interference. It's not my voice, folks. This is the second time we've had an interference somehow in my direction, whether I'm on Zoom or whether I'm on Skype. Thank you very, very much, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Leavely, an MD, a physician, a hero, a hero. You're becoming more and more a hero of mine. Thank you very much for being well, on Thank the show. you, Dr. Bragan. I think, you know, those of us of our generation are the ones that are going to have to fight to help restore medical freedom, the oath of Hippocrates. And some people may notice I have a black ribbon around my caduceus because I am appalled at the way in which physicians are dishonoring and shaming the oath of Hippocrates in not advocating for their patients, they will be held accountable before God on judgment day. And those of us that have stood for God's truth, for medical truth, for exposing the evil that is determined to bring us down and destroy human life and our freedoms, all of us can be very pleased and proud that we just said, not on my watch we are going to stand for what is right. And you and your wife were total inspirations to me as I watched the hours and hours of work. I mean, you, you both were putting in 12 and 14 and maybe 16 hour days much of the year so that it took to get that book done. Your research is impeccable and everyone needs to read this to understand exactly what we've been up against. You cannot fight an enemy you do not know. So read COVID-19 and the global predators because the only way you avoid being the prey is to know who's coming after you. So thank, thank you for having me. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Thank you so very, very much. And thank you, my wonderful audience as always for taking these matters seriously. Thank you. Thank you.